0: Like to welcome everybody to the major music lounge podcast got a good producer friend of mine, mr. fat what's good my brother? whats
1: out with you d can't call it
0: oh man man uh definitely a pleasure to have you on the show i remember uh we we yes, met sir. on my previous show a while back, so it's definitely been a minute since we we talk uh, and good to see you know you're still doing big things out there. Laugh yet, man?
1: Yeah, that was a good while back, man. I, I'm I'm happy to see you know I'm still at it. Good to see you still at it too, man. So that's a good thing, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. Definitely, man. Definitely, man. Um, so you know a lot of people kind of know you for uh the Cupid Shuffle single. Uh, we're gonna get into that a little bit. But I did want to talk about, um, you know, okay. just tell us a little bit All about right. how you got started, you know, with music, because I know you, you're you kind of like a musical family. Your brother's also a, a music producer as well. Uh, so tell us a little right. bit about, you right. know, how you got inspired to be a producer.
1: Man, I started off young. My pops was a gospel, uh, a choir director and a gospel singer. So, you know, he come from a musical family as well. You know, his brother's. Uh, played in the band they all had a band together so i came up in a household that was real real fluent and, and consistent with music you know from gospel to r and b to soul music to jazz bands so i was around music since a kid you know and you know a lot of i I, I ain't gonna necessarily say rap I just started listening to rap till I got like in high school I wanna say which is crazy but you know my parents really like liked a lot of the old you know soul music and gospel music, so I got a real good background and history of that first before I switched over to hip hop you know yeah
0: yeah man uh when like how long have you been producing overall
1: man I've been producing probably i'ma say full time producing I've been producing for about a good seventeen years wow i've been I've been producing though you know. <laughs> for about a little bit over half my life, man. I'm 41 now, so and I started at the age of 15. So I've been doing this since 15. But you know, I started producing, producing, like, you know, actually getting records out there and started actually making it a career and actually making a living out of it for the past 17 years. So
0: man, man, and it's uh yeah, you know, it's definitely a blessing to see you going strong still, you know, kind of like I was saying earlier. So we kind of, you know, take a look, go back to 2007. You got the Cupid Shuffle. And I remember at that point in time, I was working um, at a Best Buy store out here in Dallas. And I remember, man, it was just kind of cool seeing, first of all, Cupid on that CD out here in Dallas. Right, right. Second of all, um, you know, just to hear you guys come from a place where I came from doing it the way that you guys were doing it. And, you know, we kind of fast forward in 2011. That's when you were actually on my show uh, for the producer's corner. I I actually listened to that interview maybe about 30 minutes before we started this one. And um, at that point in time, it wasn't quite platinum as of yet. So tell us a little bit about did you ever think when y'all were in the lab creating that song, it ever had the chance to become a platinum record?
1: Well, <laughs> I, I tell this story a lot to my friends. A lot of people that's close to me know this story. And, you know, me and Cupid laugh about it a lot. Everybody thought it was, except me. And that's crazy. But that's that's only because, you know, I always listen to records from the musical side, uh, the producer side, the psychologist side. You know, a lot of my friends always tell me, oh, Fat, you're thinking too much. You, think, you put too much thought in The funny story about that is when me and him actually worked on the song, I did not like the beat at all. Wow. Like, I completely was like, man, this is too simple. Like, I get the whole concept of less is more, but, you know, I was really like, man, let me add some keys. Let me add some breakdowns. And he kept saying, no, Fat, I'm telling you, leave it like it is. This is perfect. And I'm like, dog, Okay, this is your song. You the one got to go out there and push that. But don't tell nobody I made this beat. <laughs> and it's, it's ironic that the one song I told them not to tell nobody I made the track is the freaking song that got a a, a three million soul plaque hanging on my wall today. So I didn't think it was going to be that, you know, but the people made the song that it was, you know.
0: Man, and yeah, it, it, it's of a, li- a life of its own i mean it's everywhere I, i'm sometimes walking in the mall um i remember the other night maybe like a week or two ago i'm chilling in the crib watching the warriors play one night and i see Steph and draymond on the bench dancing to the cupid shuffle and this is like right. breath 2021 20, right right and that song came out in 2007 right and then i mean you think about all the other right. like soundtracks and you know uh wherever tv shows etc everywhere it's played
1: man and you know TV and movie placements you. yeah man it's, it's been the song just took wings man and you know i i can honestly say man it's a blessing it was a blessing in disguise and man that song really changed our lives for real for real, for man, real.
0: man yeah yeah definitely man props up to you for that and you know aside from that you also known for your fat tuesday series Tell us a little bit about right, right. that series as well, because you had a lot of you know people involved with that over the years and some of the other projects that you maybe worked on along the way.
1: A lot of people that aren't from like the southwestern part of Louisiana who probably know me from Cupid Shuffle and on, um, they're usually not aware of my history before that. Like I said earlier, I started producing when I was 15 years old, so a lot of the popular rappers and musicians and artists that were around my way in the late nineties, early two thousands, I was involved in a lot, a lot of that music. So especially for the scene in the three, three, seven area in Louisiana, I mean, you know, it is like, I could do a track list, man. I can go back as far as 99, you know what I'm saying? With records I had with other artists and, you know, I was pretty much known for rapping. I started off as a rapper. Now, we was too broke to buy beats, <laughs> you know, and I, I used to buy my beats from uh, who, was my, who was like my big brother and my mentor now, but, you know, and he's doing his thing now. But I used to buy beats from Roy Anthony, from Roy yeah. Chip Anthony. Yeah. And a lot of people that know me and Chip's story, you know, I used to be one of his clients. Like, I used to rap, and I knew how to make beats, but I wasn't satisfied with mine. I wanted professionalism, so I started buying tracks from him and he was like, Man, you got the you got the you got it. Buy a keyboard like mine and I'll show you how to use it. So that's how that took off. So fat Tuesday came up from spinning off from the success of Cupid Shuffle, and people just kind of just put me in the box of producer. I just started the Fat Tuesday series to kind of just showcase my rap skills again. Because a lot of people close to home knew that I started off as a rapper. And what it ended up becoming is kind of like. I used it as a, a two-way vehicle almost, I want to say, because I showcased my rap skills as a rapper, but I also showcased my production skills and my songwriting skills. And I say production because, you know, we know cliche producer necessarily doesn't mean beat maker. Right, right. So when I was putting these Fat Tuesday projects together a lot, most of the time I wasn't doing all of the tracks. But I still produce the records. I still produce the songs. You know, I produced the project in its entirety. So it started showcasing my, my talent as a real music producer. And after the first Fat Tuesday one, man, things just started taking off, bro. It started becoming a staple. Like around every Mardi Gras, I used to have rappers calling me, hey, look, man, I'm working on a project, but I know Mardi Gras about to come around. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're dropping this year, if you're not dropping, I'm going to go ahead and drop mine. I'd be like, yeah, I'm chilling this year. All right, bet. You know what I'm saying? So, and that was, that felt good to have music that people were anticipating. So, you know, it felt good to bring it back this year. I took a hiatus for about four years, man, but I finally, uh, did fat Tuesday five, me and Dobie D drop fat Tuesday five this, this, this season.
0: And as anything, like I know over the last year, uh, with the pandemic Uh music wise, probably had a lot more Uh time. Um, you know, what's the biggest thing that you took away over the last year? Uh, creating music leading up to your release of the the most recent release of the Fat Tuesday series.
1: Man, I'm going to be all the way honest with you. Because a lot of people in the industry don't talk about this side or they don't glorify it. But you know, the pandemic showed me, the pandemic showed me how important it was to have my music business affairs in order. Yeah. You see when it came to a point where concerts stopped going, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm also Cupid's show DJ too on the road. Yeah. So when concerts started getting canceled, arenas are closing down, lounges and clubs aren't booking live concerts, a lot of us musicians was relying on royalties and publishing checks and movie and TV placements. Last year really brought the hustler out of a lot of people that were comfortable with having the convenience of performances. And as a producer, I thank God that I had enough business in order to kind of keep me afloat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I ain't gonna sit here and stunt. I wasn't balling out of control. I still, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't drinking margaritas every Friday night either. But shit, you know, I'm. thank God I still had, you know, money coming in just off of residuals, you know, residual income from music that I've done. 16, 17 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, still getting checks in the mail. That's one thing that the pandemic showed me. And then another thing, it just kind of gave me time to reinvent myself. You know, I had a lot of time to sit there and say, "Okay, what is everybody doing? What can you do differently? It gave me more time to study the game. It gave me more time to study what kind of wave, what kind of frequency the music was on out there in the world. So it was just a learning process, you know, for me. Hopefully it was like that for a lot of other people, too, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the way I saw it, too, because um, yeah. a lot of people had to really have their business together. Um, it wasn't really about going out and then doing shows. and It was really about, right. you know, You have to have something done, whether you came out with a new album, whether you learned how, you know, if you're a producer, maybe you spent time working on your craft. If you're an artist, uh, maybe you spent time learning how to promote yourself online. And then, I mean, a lot of other people also think that getting placements with artists is just the way to go. You mentioned talking about some of the other placements that you got, you know, whether it's film and television, too. So uh, I, I say that to say that a lot of people sleep on those additional opportunities and they're just kind of honed in on just getting those placements with with the uh, artists. Instead, I do want to kind of rewind right. when you were talking about, you know, your first keyboard, uh, which what did you make the Cupid Shuffle on? Like, what was your first? What was the gear that you were using around that time?
1: Um, my Cupid Shuffle setup. At that time, I wasn't on software just yet. So the Cupid Shuffle, I made that on the Yamaha Motif. Wow. I had the Motif 6 and the MPC 2000 XL. Yeah. So that was still my setup. I kind of was like hybrid. I, I just kind of started messing with reason around that time but I wasn't fully transferred over into the software just just yet. So, but um, you know, around that time, 2006-2007, I was I I was that was strictly my go-to setup. It was the Motif MPC 2000.
0: Man, yeah, I just uh yeah. I just kind of got into the whole hardware thing myself. Now, around that time, I did have the MPC 2000 and the uh, person that taught me how to make beats, he was using the motif around that time as well. But I was using reason and I ended up selling my MPC around maybe 809 because I had to buy another computer because my Mac went out. I just got back into MPC one. I would yeah. say my main daughter is a uh, machine. I use machine a lot. Mm-hmm. I still have reason. Um, what are you using currently?
1: Currently, uh, man, I've been on I've been on Logic Pro, man. I've been on Logic Pro the past ten years, man. I ain't gonna lie, that is hard for me to leave Logic Pro too, man. Like I'm just spoiled in Logic, and it's not more. I don't I don't really hear it pop up as like the go to dog these days for uh you know for producing and stuff. But man, when I started like bumping shoulders, rubbing shoulders with a lot of other people in the industry. The first thing I was hearing, I was waiting to hear, was FL Studio, FL Studio. And a lot of people's like, oh, no, man, I'm on Logic. And I was like, damn, that's that's crazy. You know, like, I know FL Studio might be the more popular.
0: Yeah.
1: You know what I'm saying? Which I have been I have been trying to cross over and learn FL too. You know, I don't ever want to just be a one-trick pony. I want to have some kind of experience on a, a, a few platforms because you never know what situations might be presented to you, you know. I might get stuck on a flight or get my bags missing and might have a studio session and gotta work on whatever the studio has. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be stuck and miss out an opportunity because I don't know how to make a track on FL Studio. You know what I'm saying? So
0: I, use, I, I I've
1: been I've been messing with FL Studio a little bit.
0: I used Logic too. Um I've used uh actually okay. been in logic since like logic eight nine one 9, ten um oh yeah and I got that uh ma- that MacBook Pro with the M1, so that's what I kind of been rocking with and love the way it ran on there. And um I I, I actually oh yeah man I-, I had an older computer. Actually, the computer that's right behind me is a older Mac, and I couldn't really run logic like talking about on mm-hmm. there, so I really didn't mess with it until I got an upgraded computer, and it was uh definitely well worth the wait. I wish I could have ran it a lot better earlier. Uh, is that all you're using currently? Just uh, Logic? Every, you do everything in Logic?
1: Everything Logic, man. I've just been... And uh, I'm I'm even starting to practice more uh, mixing in Logic as well. Yeah. You know? Because I, I, a, a few people, a few studios I know, they record in Logic as well. It's a, just an all-around program. You know, just kind of like uh, there was this other program back in the Gap a lot of people used to use. Uh, Chip used to use it. That's who put me on it first. It was called Digital Performer.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: And Digital Performer was kind of the same. Yeah, Digital Performer was kind of almost the same format like Logic. You could produce, you could run VSTs, you could record audio, you could run plugins, mix, master in it. So it was an all-in-one, you know, workstation. So that's what kind of had me like that, man. But, man, I'm telling you, like, I've really tried. Messing with some other things. Like, I got, I got cats that would be like, man, try Ableton. Try FL Studio. Try Machine. I've tried Machine. I've tried Ableton. Kind of like the way, you know, FL Studio is. But, man, I'm stuck on Logic, dog.
0: Yeah, yeah. Until is.
1: FL Studio impresses me and wows me, I might switch over. But, you know. Now, I can't tell you this. I can't tell you this. Lately, I've noticed that, for some reason, FL Studio kind of gives a different feel to the production. And I thought, you know, usually they say all workstations are the same. They just, you know, got different labels and tabs and all that. But I've, like, I don't know, man. FL Studio has more like a, a in-your-face algorithm to it for some yeah. reason. Like, I produced two tracks on Fat Tuesday 5 with FL Studio. And for some reason, those tracks sound more powerful. They got more bang, you know what I'm like? And yeah. I'm like, eh, okay, I can understand as far as in hip-hop and rap, why FL Studio might be the go-to workstation before Logic. But when it comes to, like, you know, musical composition and the Just Blaze, Justice League-type tracks, I'm not even going to try that on FL Studio. I'm going, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? I'm going to Logic, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think, I mean, FL got a really good factory selection of uh, sounds, but Logic, too, as well. I mean, with the Alchemy Uh synthesizer. And uh just the uh, I like the new sampler in, in logic as well. Uh the drum scent and um just how you can drag and drop the drum samples into the new sampler now. So it's a lot more efficient for my workflow as well. Now I did want to ask you, right? You have um your new podcast, uh the control room. Tell us a little bit about that and right. you know your concept behind the right. control room.
1: Man, it's it's my main concept is is to start from a producer's point of view, kind of like what your show does, you know. But I want to specifically specifically highlight the history of three three seven producers. And the reason why I say specifically them, I want to my first season. I want to start off with specifically the core base. Of the Lafayette area, because this area is not mentioned when it comes to, you know, musical placement on the chart of Louisiana. Oh. It's like New Orleans, then Baton Rouge, and then they go all the way to Shreveport. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, uh-uh, man, y'all can't. We can't do that. Like we can't leave out uh, the southwest region of Louisiana, man. Our our sound is important, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Our sound is important, and People don't understand the history of the 337 track record. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, two of the biggest dance songs in the country came out of Lafayette, Louisiana, before yeah. the Cupid Shuffle was the bunny hop. You know what yeah. I'm saying? The bunny hop still gets played to this day, and that's maybe 10 years older than the Cupid Shuffle. Yeah. Or maybe five maybe five to eight years older than the Cupid Shuffle. So it's like, you know, I, I just, I didn't like, our city, now I'm not going to say our city, I didn't like our area being slept on when it came to Louisiana ranking in music. We had a real big impact. Our stories were just not told. So I felt like I was one of the cats who was around for the majority of that scene. I started off so young at 15, 16 years old. I was around in the late 90s. I was around in the early 2000s and I'm kind of still around now in the, in the you know in the rotation. So who better than me to help tell the story through other music producers and execs and artists, you know, who helped pave this, this path we got in the 337 area for music, you know? And I think it's going to be enlightening because it's going to be a lot of stories and a lot of production tales. You're going to hear that a lot of people didn't know about, you know, and and I'm, I'm blessed to say I I got good relationships and I'm acquaintances with a lot of these guys who were producers, man. I was actually signed to red bar records, as an in-house producer when bunny hop was released
0: and a lot of people don't know that
1: it was three producers on red bar records. It was Gambino. That's who produced the, the bunny hop. Uh, another guy, Jason cook, Jay cook, who was a producer and engineer. Uh, and then, and it was me. I was the third one. I was the last one to sign on, you know, as in-house producer before they got to deal with universal records. So I've seen the movement happen from beginning to end, you know, And I, you know, I just feel like we got a story to tell. So hopefully with the control room, I'm going to bring that to light from the producer side of you first. I want to specifically highlight producers because that's my main lane. That's what people identify me with. So I kind of want to bring that light to other cats, too, so they can tell their side of the story and we can start connecting the dots with some of the things that we see going on today. And then we can start connecting these dots back to the origins of how it got where it was, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with it when I think of Lafayette um, and go back to a lot of the late 90s, even the early 2000s, you had a lot of people like I know you did some work with Vicious, for example, and then uh, of course. Oh, yeah. Who also had ties to UGK and H-Town, who also had ties yep. to uh Trill Records in Baton Rouge. Right, so it's kind of, right. you know, it's kind of right. that domino effect. And Lafayette is kind of mixed yeah. in and all that shuffle. And a lot of people don't know that, man. Yes, sir. What kind of, uh, what are you working on currently? Anything you got cooking up?
1: Um, Currently, I'm really, I've been in production with the podcast and the YouTube show. So we've been doing a lot of that. I'm about four episodes in. You know, I still haven't released them yet because I kind of want to do them to where They're fully produced, and I just want to make sure that some of these stories are just told right, you know. So I kind of shoot them, and then me and my team, we go back and do a lot of, you know, post-editing and stuff like that to make sure it's told right, I get the right music placed, and make sure I highlight all the right things. So I got that working real good. Uh, I got a deluxe version of Fat Tuesday on the way, you know. I'll break that here first. I I didn't announce it yet, but I got a deluxe version of Fat Tuesday on the way this summer um i got a lot more music videos i'll be shooting uh i just currently last year finished my wife's album uh never she's a, a r&b soul singer out here from this area um man we got another uh cupid compilation coming out real soon uh, a lot of other r&b uh artists that i'm working on right now you know that i can't really say about just yet but and just and really, really, I'm trying to really just get back into the rap scene as well. You know, sure, I sure. think I got tied up with so much other stuff, uh, producing R&B and, you know, the Southern Soul stuff. I did a lot of stuff in the Southern Soul market that oh, yeah. I don't even get to mention because of all the other stuff I've done. I don't even talk about how many songs I did in the Southern Soul world because that's a whole nother genre in its own, you know, that I had, you know. I had a major hand in, especially around this area as well. So a lot of stuff, man. I'm just trying to stay busy, man, and just keep using the gift God bless me with, bro. I'm, I don't want to let it go stale, you know?
0: You did something uh, with uh, Mel Waiters, huh?
1: Yeah, we did. Yeah,
0: yeah. okay, okay. Right? I
1: think his last project before he died, yeah, um, man. We, we, we actually, um, we actually rewrote. Uh, 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 a song Cupid did. It was an original Cupid song, and we ended up doing a revision of the song, and we gave it to Mel Waites for uh, I think one of his last projects. Man, yep. sh-
0: shout out! to I him. forgot about
1: that, man. That's crazy. You brought that up, man.
0: Man, yeah, man. <laughs> uh, you know, it just uh, you have you have a very broad discography, man. And you know that's one of the things that I admire about you because yeah, you did man. it on the R and B side, you did it on the hip hop side, you did it on the soul side. Uh, Is there any lane that you want to tap into that you haven't tapped into yet?
1: Yes, man. Dance hall, reggae and Afrobeat, man. I'm a huge fan of that, man. On the cool. <laughs> man. Like I've been a, I've been a big reggae fan for a while. Like a lot of people that know me know, man, Steel Post is my favorite reggae band of all time. My cousins put me on Steel Post a long time ago and Raggy, the whole, you know, that whole Afro, uh, you know, dance movement that's going on right now. I know it's getting popular, popularized in the country, in the U.S. now. But, man, they've been doing that, you know, for years. That's their sound. And I, and something about that music is just, it's, it's thriving to me, man. It's, it's like a challenge, you know. I actually did a record like that on my wife's album, too. We had a, a song she did called More to Love but we kind of did like the Afrobeat dance hall type, you know, vibe on it too, man. So I've been intrigued with that, man. So that's definitely something I'm working with. I got a couple of of people that I'm cool with, you know, that kind of want to get me on the Latin side as well, you know, to do like some, some Latin reggaeton type stuff, man. And I'm open to it, man. I think music is universal. You don't have to just stick to one, one genre, you know, as a musician, man, you, you, You want to create good music no matter what lane it's in, you know? Yeah,
0: man. I mean, we don't definitely don't get into here just to limit ourselves to just doing one type of music. And, you know, I just I like to experiment Uh as well. I I agree with you on that whole dance and uh, techno side of things, because I don't know. I just always I've always liked the vibe that type of music brought. And I've always like using a lot of those chords and chord progressions in my music, kind of flipping it to if I feel there's a lot of like similarities in terms of uh, BPM, you know, 120 and above for a lot of that dance and techno mm-hmm. music. And that's right. what I kind of uh, mix that. I mean, excuse me, make my beats at right now is 120 BPM. Right, right. You know? Is there anything you... You know, one would like to say coming on the show to maybe like an up and coming producer, somebody getting into music production here in 2021, maybe that yourself as a young producer didn't know
1: um, when you started out. First thing I would always say is make sure you handle your business like this is like, you know, I know a lot of us jump into this game and we start off as hobbyists. Maybe, you know, it becomes a hobby. And then at some point in time, we get a passion to where we really wanna make this a career and a living. So we gotta understand that it's called the music business. So I, I always reiterate that when I, when I send that message out to, because it's serious, you know? There's a lot of people really getting rich, and I mean rich, off of musicians, off of artists, off of songwriters, and these people are struggling and barely paying their bills. And there's people sitting in an office collecting residual income off of their work simply because they didn't have the knowledge to handle their business. You know, just as much as we can sit on these workstations and study frequencies and study EQs and limited and compression and mastering and all that stuff we put study into. We should study just as much, if not more, the business side on how we can eat off the stuff we create. Because it's a market for it. there's And it's like you said earlier, song placement is not just the wave, man. There's TV placements. There's music library licensing. Like, you can literally make 10 to 15 second samples of songs of just music. And you can license it to a TV licensing company. They'll use your track on a National Geographic scene of a monkey running through the trees. You know? Like, there's people who sit there and create sound libraries of just ambiance and feeling. It doesn't need an artist. It doesn't need any lyrics. They might, like, you'll get a song placement, you'll get a sync request, and it'll say National Geographic Documentary on whales. So they want something that sounds majestic. Think magical. Think water. Hey, go to Omnisphere, pull out all your best majestic sound, (laughs) you know what I'm saying, and make a 10-second loop. And you can license that to National Geographic. And the difference between licensing and selling means I can license it to National Geographic, which means they can pay me a fee, use it for their documentary. I can turn right back around to the travel network and license the same exact track to another TV network. And I can sell the same track over and over and over and over and over again because it's licensing. You see what I'm saying? So when I say study the business, we should know that type of language. We should know that type of lingo when people say licensing, when people say work for hire, when, you know, when people, all these terms depend on what type of check you get in the mail at the end of the day. And if you don't know it, somebody's going to act like they know it for you and just say, oh, don't worry about it, sign right here. You know what I'm saying? So... Yeah. Always study the business, man. And stay ahead, man. Technology is just moving so fast. Just stay ahead. Don't become a dinosaur, you know. I was at that point at one time, I was like, man, I'm I'm never leaving analog. Analog is the way. <laughs> you know? And then I'm pulling up to the studio and it's taking me 30 minutes to get ready because I got to pop in my OS disc. I got to find my zip drive with the drums. I got to get this and sample. And then... Cats is coming up in there with a laptop and a hard drive, and they cranking out tracks right. in ten minutes. I was like, "Oh, I got to stop this, this, <laughs> this, this getting, this getting too much trouble."
0: Yeah, man. I mean, that's that's two biggest things: learning the business. Cats are so eager to just want to get in, just wanting to write, make music. But yeah. you know, I, I I look at the example. Rest in peace to Black Rob. Um, there was no reason Black that Rob, yeah. Black Rob should have passed the way that he did, not having any money for medical expenses. I remember um somebody, I can't remember who exactly, but it might have been Ugly, but started a GoFundMe. But at that point, I think it was it was too late uh because he was kind of I think he might have passed three or four days later, but you know, that's a, that's another yeah. topic for another day, but there's no reason that Black Rob shouldn't have had money to get proper medical care for himself um, and die in the way that right. he did. And then, you know, right, uh, to the other, other thing uh, you were saying um, about staying ahead of technology, uh, this whole music production thing is really, I mean, it's everywhere in terms of being able to make beats and You don't really, you know, opposed to 10, 15 years ago and you have to save a stack or more to buy the right computer, uh, buy your program. Now you can buy iPad and start cooking up on that now. And then, I mean, even now you can, I mean, buy a Mac right at about $1,000 and be able to start using it it for production. And then, of course, there will be some PC options in between. So, I mean, it's really important no matter what you're doing to – Uh, take the time and learn how to use it. And one other thing I want to talk about is um, a lot of cats think buying more plugins and more sounds and things like that will equate to having better beats, but they're not taking the time to really learn about these VSTs that they're buying. So, you know, kind of slow down, learn what you got and then move on to something else.
1: Man, I, I always say this. It's an old analogy, but people get it every time I see it. If, if we were mechanics, and you showed up to fix my car, and you had 72 brand new tools, but didn't know how to work one of them, but the next mechanic had a rusty toolbox and knew every tool like the back of his hand, I promise you, the rusty toolbox is going to get more jobs than the shiny cleaners. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Know your craft. Easy. Know your tools. No, you craft, and I and I run into it, man. I've been in so many studio sessions, man, and the sessions got eight plugins per track, and I'm thinking, like, man, this is this is ridiculous, man. Like, do you need all this? Like, you have to understand the science and the actual process of mixing and production before you just start slapping plugins. Too many producers think plugins are just the the, the shortcut, you know, to just doing what you understand what a plugin does, understand how a compressor works, understand what a limited does. Once you master using the tools you got, you will realize that you really don't need much to make a sound, man. That's funny you brought that up because one night Shorty Red was on live on Instagram one night. It was like three thirty in the morning and Shorty Red was playing some of his old tracks like from the Young Jesus sessions from Trap or Dying stuff. And I was like, man, Shorty Red is on live. And it was on like five people on live. <laughs> so I was like, shit, I'm going to highlight at Shorty Red right quick. So I'm like, man, on the intro for, I think it was Can't The Snowman. I was like, what was the EQ process? Man, Shorty Red said straight up. He was like, ain't no EQ process, homie. A lot of these sounds sound good already. I just mastered the art of sound balancing. I know how not to flood, overcrowd my sounds. I know how to give each sound its own space. That's why my beats hit the way they do. You know, and and that's another thing that a lot of producers aren't taught. Understand the importance of space in a track. I I always call Dr. Dre the king of space. Dr. Dre could make a a hit song with five instruments. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yep. Dr. Dre got some of the most classic beats in the world. When you listen to it's only five instruments, yeah. And you are like, man, how you know?
0: So it's clean. how you
1: use it, not what yeah. you use, you know.
0: It's how you use yeah. it. It's so his, his mixes are yes, just sir. so clean, and he mixes everything himself. Oh man, man. And yes, you know, and it, it's and, uh, all
1: about not overcrowding your work. You know, I think a lot of us as producers, we get so musically inclined. We just want to add more, add more, add more, add more, which ties in full circle about the first question you asked me about Cupid Shuffle. I think what made that track so impactful is because the song had just the right amount of space. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. from the 808 hitting every first of the bar, the top of the bar to the line only coming in during the chorus. Yeah. It's like it was the perfect disaster. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but years later, now that I look at it, I understand why the track works now. Yeah. I totally
0: get it. And you know? I used to, I used to be one of those people that I would add so many instruments to a beat back in, you know, this was like when I first started 10, 15 years ago. And I, I listened to some of those beats and I'm uh-huh. like, Ugh, it's painful to listen to. And then yeah. I listened to some of the more recent right, right, stuff, right, right. and it sounds so much cleaner it just simplicity is everything, man. You don't, you definitely don't need to overcrowd everything with instruments and sometimes more. is. I mean, less is right, more. Man. Where can people follow you and find, you know, your work online man?
1: everything at Mr. Fett, M R dot P H A T, Apple music, Spotify, iTunes title, all of it, man. You can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Fett. The only thing that's different is my Facebook. as Uh, Mr. Fat Platinum producer. Because oddly enough, there's a few other Mr. Fats out there in the world. So, you know, I just try to (laughs) I try to brand mine as much as I can, man.
0: Man, I'm going through the same thing. I I had this other D-Dot on my uh, Apple Music and people hitting me up about some of his albums. I'm like, you know, that's not me. I didn't even produce nothing on that. Right, right. So, (laughs) You know, I go through it, too. Right, right, um, right. Now, what, I, one thing I forgot to ask you, you got your own studio out there in Lafayette, too, huh?
1: Yeah, that's where I'm at right now, man. Hub City Studios. Well, um, we've been over here five years. I actually uh, we're located inside the Nardgate Mall, the, the mall that was on the north side of town in the Lafayette, man. So uh, we came and hollered the people at Northgate Mall, you know, kind of brought them our game plan with them and they gave us a shot. And we've been here going on about to be six years this summer.
0: Okay. so. Oh, yeah, Yeah. man. Yeah. Y'all in Lafayette, uh, definitely hit up Mr. Fat and uh, check out Hub City Studios. And, you know, I got I got to roll through that soon, too. I ain't been down there in a minute, of course, because of the pandemic. But I'm about to start getting on the road again. So uh, I'm definitely, you know, look y'all up. Yeah, man. I'm down there, man. uh, I'm through, man. Whenever you, you know you're in Dallas as well, man. How at you boy, man. Definitely would uh would love to get down and work with
1: you, man. Cool deal. Man, I actually might be out there in June or July. Uh okay. there's the uh I think they're having that vertical, the vertical uh showcase thing. I'm gonna be out there at man. So I'll probably be out there that whole weekend, man. We definitely gonna link up.
0: Okay, yeah, man. Definitely gotta definitely link up with you, man. And you know, anytime you got any projects or, you know, want to get up and get on and chop it up about something, uh, love to have you on. And I, you know, appreciate you spending this time man. chopping up definitely a great conversation, man.
1: Hey man, I appreciate you for giving me the platform, man. Just like back then to today, bro. Appreciate what you're doing.
0: Yes, sir. It's necessary. Man, I I appreciate that, man. Definitely coming from you, you know, doing the things that you've done in the industry, man. And keep on, man. Keep on the good
1: work, man. I appreciate it, man. You know, I ain't ain't gonna stop, dog.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So this concludes another edition of the Major Music Lounge. You can actually catch the Major Music Lounge on all streaming podcast platforms like Apple Music Podcast, Spotify Podcast, and YouTube on Fridays. Uh, We're about to actually wrap up Season one, pretty soon, it will be 20 shows that we've done. Right. This show is actually going to be what episode 17. So there'll be three more shows after this one. And then I'm going to put some things on hold for the summer and come back probably August or so and uh bring some new shows to you. So definitely stay tuned for that. If you've been following this show since the beginning, I really appreciate everybody's support thus far. And again, stay tuned. More to come. Follow me on Instagram at d. Underscore major music. You can follow me on Twitter at D.mme and let me know you from the channel. I appreciate it. This has been another edition of the Major Music Lounge. We had Mr. Fat on there. Shout out to Mr. Fat and shout out to everybody that took the time to watch this one and I'm out.